Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. This episode is brought to you by Shutterstock.com with over 26 million high-quality stock photos, illustrations, vectors, and video clips. Shutterstock helps you take your creative projects to the next level. For 30% off your new account, go to Shutterstock.com and use the offer code TWIP6. This week on TWIP, Instagram adds video, the Associated Press invests in the crowdsourced video site Bamboozer, a photographer is fatally stabbed in Los Angeles after photographing panhandlers, plus our listener Q&A and Picks of the Week, and at the end of the show, an interview with pro photographer Michael Freeman. It's Wednesday, June 26, 2013, and this is TWIP. Welcome back to TWIP. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Joining me today to to discuss some of the hot topics that popped up this week on our radar are Mr. Martin Bailey and Miss Darlene Hildebrandt. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Hey, Frederick. Hey. Hey, it's good to have you both back. It's been a while since both of you guys have been on the show. So, Darlene, let's let's start with you. What's what's going on in the world of Hildebrandt? Um, Well, I said before we started the recording that uh, I'm kind of going Mach 5 with my hair on fire this week because we're going away on a trip next week. We're driving from Edmonton to Portland, Oregon for something called, are you ready for it? I'm ready. The World Domination Summit. (laughs) And I put a link in. There's so many directions I could take that name in. (laughs) (laughs) So my my husband took great pleasure and I I went myself last year and he's coming with me this year. And he took great pleasure in posting this kind of update on my Facebook wall while I was away last year about how I was doing this thing. And then I had, of course, all kinds of, you know, comments about what that potentially might mean as (laughs) where your head might be going, right? Right. right. And uh, let's just put it this way. It has nothing to do with with dominatrix things. So the people that actually attend the conference aren't referred to as doms? No. Is that that okay? No. No. (laughs) WDSers is generally how we call ourselves. Um, It was started by a guy uh, named Chris Gillibo. He's got a really popular blog um, called The Art of Mm Nonconformity. And basically what his message is, is the art of being a nonconformist is to do your life your way. You know, don't do it the way that society says you should, which is, you know, you finish high school, you go to college or university and you get a get a career and you get a degree and you come out of school with, you know, loans up to your eyeballs, then you get a job and then you get a car and then you buy a house and then you have the wife and the 2.3 kids and, you know, that's that's yep. your life, yep. right? Yep. And so basically what he's saying is that if that's not what you want to do, do what you want to do. You know, if traveling the world makes you happy, do that, I right? Love that. I love that. His his book, The Art of Nonconformity, was, a pick of the, was my pick of the week. I don't ah. know. I think it was last year. And I read it and read it. I mean, I got the audio book and listened to that. And yeah, it's it's highly inspiring. And I am highly depressed that I did not know that he was the guy that was behind that summit. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, yeah, because it's uh, it, it definitely speaks to the next generation. Or I don't know if next generation is the right phrase for it. But well, and here's the interesting thing, Frederick, is yeah. that 
I went last year was the second year. So this is year number three and it's grown every year. The first year was 500 people. And the last year was a thousand. This year we're having up to 3000 people. Dang, so wow. the intimate little gathering has changed a little bit. So it should be, it should be interesting to see how the dynamic is. Um, but the, the thing that I found about it is I went in expecting it to be sort of all, you know, 20 somethings, right. Ready to do startups and all that kind of stuff. Right. And um, one of the groups that I actually got together, we're doing like a baby boomer breakfast one morning and there's quite a few people over 40 over 50 over 70 even wow. um, so it's not age specific it's basically anybody that just wants to live life on their on their own terms really well you know when i saw your your note in the show notes i was like i clicked over to it just to look through it and i'm like man i need to be going to that so i clicked on the register and it's completely sold out so if you're listening to this podcast you should go look at the site, but it's sold out. You should uh, plan on next year. <laughs> sold out. And even though there are people that have tickets for sale, you had to do any transfers a month ago. They oh, have a strict yeah. policy on a 60-day transfer, actually. So it was May 6th or something. Um, hmm, I but, wonder yeah, if I could I mean, get in you, as press. Hmm, well, you know what a lot of people do? And if you're in the Portland area, um, they do what's called unconferencing. So they'll they'll search for the hashtag, which is WDS2013. So there you go. There's the official Twitter hashtag uh, and just find out what's going on. There's lots of sort of unofficial meetups, tweet ups, go hang out. And that's what WDS is about, really. It's just connecting with people that are on the same wavelength. Yeah. And you can do that without actually attending the conference as well. Well, I think I think as a low cost way of attending the conference, I'm going to re-listen to the art of nonconformity and call it a day. <laughs> So cool. All right. Well, darling, thanks. Welcome. Welcome back to the show. Also on the show here is Mr. Martin Bailey coming to us all the way from the island of Japan out there. Hey, Martin, hey. how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks, Frederick. What's it's, going on uh, in your world? Every time we talk, you've, you've, you're coming back from someplace or you're about <laughs> to go someplace. So which is it this time? It, well, it's both. I've just come back from Namibia and I'm about to go to Iceland for my next tour. So. Wonderful. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're two of my bucket list countries that I was uh, I really wanted to visit, and so making both of those uh, things happen this year, um, and then using my my time between these tours wisely. Uh, we, we've just finished the the final review of my next Craft and Vision ebook, so that's going to be released tonight. Well, so, congratulations on that, by the way. Yeah. I got the email. I think it was a couple hours ago. And it's yeah. called it's called Sharpshooter, right? And I was looking at it, so I get the email because I'm on the affiliate list, and I got the email. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. Let me uh, let me read that later, um, you know, because I I usually flag things to read later when I'm sitting in front of the TV. And then mm. I saw your name on there. I'm like, Martin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, another ebook uh. from Martin. <laughs> so this one, when I say another one, you, the first one, which was excellently written, was your one on printing, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, thanks for the thanks for that. Uh, but yeah, I uh, I I wanted to get my second one out before this, but things have been just uh, you know just crazy over this last eighteen months. But it has taken. It's been eighteen months since uh, making the print was released, and but now I'm I'm happy to have the second book in the system, and uh, you know I've got a few other ideas that I want to start to work on as well. So well, before um, we, before we jump into the news here, just just tell us a little bit about Sharpshooter. So. What is it about? I mean, I read the cover and it says about making sharp pictures. What what exactly does that mean? Well, it, what I do is I I start off with working you know working through why images are even sharp in the first place. We just take a, a take a step back and just talk a little bit about depth of field, and then I I go on to talk about uh, techniques for shooting sharp images. You know, like camera holding techniques, and then 
Also, a lot of the time for longer lenses, the lens itself can shudder. So I go into a little bit about how to work with really long lenses. And then, uh, you know, just a whole bunch of, of techniques and how to, how to get sharp images. But then we, we look into how to use the, the I call, I've got a, there's a part of the book called The Great Unsharp. Um, and basically that's talking about the, you know, using very shallow depth of field. Um, but still it's important to make sure that the part that should be sharp is sharp. So, you know, I go into all of that. And then, you know, there's always going to be times when we, we come home thinking we've got a, a world beater and then we open it on the computer and it's, it's not quite as sharp as we thought it would be. Mm -hmm. So then we go into, uh, there's a section towards the end talking about sharp, sharpening in post. So what to do to save the almost there shots. Um, yeah. But it's, you know, all through and through, it's not, we don't take too deep a dive. But it's a, it's a relatively nice 35 pages, a, a relatively quick read, but should hopefully uh, you know, help to sharpen up the images if you've... Because uh, we all suffer from, uh, you know, we get back every so often and, and they're not quite, we didn't quite get the focus or we didn't have a fast enough shutter speed or you know, the depth of field wasn't quite as shallow or, or deep as we'd hoped or, yeah. or intended. And so we just jump into all of that and uh, I'm hoping that it's going to be another relatively popular... Vision I'm sure it will be because I'll tell you I don't I don't know if I, I think I'm like a lot of people I got I was the the manual focusing guy right it's like mm. you know you're not a real photographer unless you manual focus <laughs> right so I got yeah. I got to this point where okay I'm manual focusing everything and then I don't know there was this this point of inflection in the degradation of my optical sensors built into my my head <laughs> that, that that they weren't they weren't focusing on the stuff that I wanted them to focus on so mm. i decided okay let me give this uh this autofocus targeting computer a shot but yeah. it works 90 99% of the time but that 1% of the time results in a okay it focused on the wrong thing or it's soft or whatever and i'm like okay and now i'm in photoshop trying to sharpen it or or whatever. Yeah. So I think this uh, this is a much needed book, especially for people people like me that refuse to ever wear glasses. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we also. I mean, one of the things that people make. A, I mean, I, I know this from my workshops as well, especially the wildlife ones, where it's where it's so critical. Um, but a lot of people end up in the using the wrong type of focus. You know, one shot as against an AI servo for a Canon, yeah. um, and also which which focus point you select is is very important and a lot of people don't realize that if you start with your um, on a Canon camera if you start with the center focus point selected in AI servo but you're in one of the, the, the selected focus point modes it will only use that center focus point um, hmm. so you have to actually be in the the AF uh, or a, was it auto auto or auto select mode mode so that it's a, it looks different when you look through the viewfinder and change through the modes uh, but so that it actually uses all of the other available focus points you've got to be in a specific mode and, and it's amazing the amount of people that um, I come across on workshops that just don't know that. Yeah, don't, and that's fundamental camera operation I'll tell you with me the way that I've been shooting forever is I use the center focus point and on continuous or not continuous but single right so mm. i you hold the shutter button down half or do a half press and it will focus on that center uh focus point and yeah. then i'll recompose from there so like say i'm shooting a photo of darlene i'll focus on her eyes and then i'll recompose it to make it the right shot and then i'll snap the shutter 
like that. And that's 90% of the way that I shoot. But I know that I'm missing out on a ton of different ways that I can just sort of, you know, let the computer do it or or just make things a little bit easier for me. So I'm, I'm looking yeah. forward for the, to this ebook. Yeah. When oh, I got great. the five, when I got the five D Mark III a year ago, I mean, I'm still learning about the autofocus modes. There's four menus of autofocus in this camera. <laughs> mm. It's ridiculous. Yeah. That's too much. That's just. I had to yeah. get on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I I go into some of the uh, some of the reasons why you might use certain settings in there as well. So uh, hopefully it'll be it'll be useful for you too, darling. So this book this book is out now, Martin, or is it? Will it so by, this this episode time, of Twipple air Friday, um, yep. Friday the twenty eighth. So it'll be out by then, right? It'll it'll be out by the end of Thursday. So yes, by the time people listen to this, you can go over to Craft and Vision, and the the book will be on the top page for a while. But I'll put a little summary together on my website as well, and I'll link to that with the the uh, the URL mbp.ac/shop. Excellent. So we'll we'll definitely link to that. Cool. And Great. that reminds me, um, a gentleman that I need to wrangle to get back on the show is Mr. David Dushman. So I need to mm. yeah. I need to pull him back in. It's been a while since I've had him on the show. We need to catch up. So, yeah. Cool. All right, guys. Well, welcome back. Let's jump into the news. The first story that we're going to be talking about today is Instagram. So Instagram the uh, the service that was purchased by Facebook for how much was it? You guys remember? Was it one billion dollars? <laughs> it was a it was a big number. There was a B in there, so I think it was <laughs> it was it was at least a billion dollars. So they've uh, they were purchased by Facebook, and luckily Facebook has has left left them kind of on their own to operate autonomously. And the latest release of Instagram has added video, which is a direct sort of shot across the bow, if not directly at the bow of um, Twitter's Vine service, which also allows you to do um, short segments of video. In the case of of Instagram video, which was released last Thursday as we record this, um, they allow you to, in addition to sharing still images, you can now record up to 15 seconds of image-stabilized video. And by the way, this image stabilization that they have in there, I've played with this. It's insane. It works. <laughs> you think? It, I, it, tr- I tried it. I didn't see a difference. It works. It works. Try, try shooting video and walking. And, I did that. And then shoot some video and walk without using it with just the normal video on your, your, your phone. And it's uh, it's amazing what they've done in software there. So, so anyway, so there's 15 seconds. I think on Vine it's sh- it's slightly shorter than that, but the concept is still the same. It's an Instagram running toilet paper roll of images and video that you can look at from your friends and family as they post them. So I think is it's it's really cool. It's a really cool implementation on the the Instagram side. Um, what I wanted to talk to you guys about is just sort of. Where is all this stuff going right now? So, Darlene, I'll throw it to you first. So when you look at a service, and I know you've played with Vine a little bit, and you may have seen Instagram. When you look at these kind of services as a professional educator and photographer, are you seeing these as the next level or generation of what is going to become the norm for image capture? In other words, video is the next thing, right? Instead of taking snapshots, now it's 15 seconds of video. What do you think? Right. I would agree that video is a, is a hot ticket item, but in terms of those in usability, I don't think that it's really a professional medium. Like, I mean, I, I've never used Instagram except for a couple of contests that I entered. You know, I was at um, I was at a conference and they had an Instagram contest, so I actually installed the app just to enter it. 
Um, so I, I haven't really used it a whole lot. And I have to admit, I didn't even know what Vine was until I read the show notes and I had to go install it. And, and I flipped through it. You know, it's video on Twitter. Okay. You know, that's kind of cool. But I can't say that I would use it. The The Vine ones are only six seconds long. and Is it like six seconds? Yeah. Six. And then it loops. And most of them, you know, if you just scroll through sort of what's in the stream, they're all just, you know, people doing stupid stuff mostly. And that's where um, it lost me because I, I tried it. A friend of mine was like, oh, you got to try Vine. It's the, it's, it's the next thing, whatever. So I'm like, okay, I'll try it. I downloaded the app and I'm sort of scrolling through, looking at the videos in there. And I swear, all I saw, <laughs> maybe, I have, maybe I have weird friends or whatever, <laughs> but all I saw was, like, people, like, farting or drinking or otherwise acting really stupid in six seconds of video. So I'm like, really? I mean, I, <laughs> I would much rather just have a still of somebody doing something. So they lost me at that. And then I deleted the app. So I don't mm. know. So is that was that your experience, Darlene? Did you did you just notice a lot of fluff in there, or did you see yeah, any substantive? Yeah, sort of, sort of. And I, I actually plugged in a hashtag because um, you know here in Alberta this weekend we're flooding. So I was right. I've been following it. I've actually been following it. Um, we cut off our TV service. We don't watch TV at home, and so I've been following the flood on Twitter. And then when I found out about the Vine app, I went and searched for the hashtag with the flood, and I did see some videos and things, and it was kind of you know poignant, but for the most part, just the regular stream, unless you're looking for something specific, I didn't really see much sort of a value there. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I wonder what the next thing is. Martin, you know, you're look, when you look at this, when you specifically Instagram, when you're looking at Instagram and now they've added video to it and, you know, in a lot of ways, it's the visual component to Facebook and, you know, and Twitter in a lot of ways. So what do, what do you think? Do you think the the addition of motion video and sound is the next wave for this or is it is it going to kill it? I don't think it'll kill it. I think there'll be there'll be creative people that um that make short videos that that are entertaining. Um but I mean for me probably not. I I do shoot. I mean I've been calling them video stills. Uh, or moving stills. Um, basically, I'll set up a set up a camera for a, a uh, you know for for a still photograph. But then I'll often, if it's if there's a bit of nice movement, um, there's snow blowing across the scene or something like that, I might just uh, grab fifteen twenty seconds of video. Yeah. Um, and for me, they're they're quite effective. But I I usually use them to punctuate and to liven up still photography slideshows. So you know you'll be watching a slideshow and then all of a sudden the, you look at the scene and it's moving. Then you know the, and I like doing that. Um, you're talking so pro what, though. You're talking. You're shooting with your Canon DSLR and you you shoot some video of a scene that you're already shooting. What about just shooting like, okay, you you know you're you're in some exotic locale and you know you just want to shoot 15 seconds of the scene. Would you would you ever do that and share it with your audience? Well, for me, I think the 15 seconds is probably the killer because I mean it's like. Even with my iPhone, I, I was in a, a, uh, an open safari vehicle in Namibia last month and we were driving over these basalt rocky roads and the car was going everywhere. And I just uh, turned my iPhone on in video mode and held it out so that you could see us in the vehicle with the road and the car going all over the place. Um, but for me, 15 seconds of that probably wouldn't have been enough to to get the the overall feel you know so i think for me to use this as a tool i would need more than 15 seconds i mean the the first thing that i thought about as a content creator was 
this would be great because I could send little video messages back to my my listeners and readers. Yeah. While you know, if I if I'm sure there'll be plugins and things where you can embed this into blogs, and I could just set it up before I left for a place like Namibia or Iceland or whatever, and then just keep in touch with with the people that follow me via these messages. But then when I when I read that it was only 15 seconds. I'm thinking, well, you know what? I can't really say a lot in 15 seconds. Maybe I'm too wordy, but I, uh, I, I need a little bit more than 15 seconds to actually get a message across. So it really is just for these little snippets of, of time. And, you know, some of the ones that are in the, the Vine feed can be entertaining. Um, I agree that they're mostly not, but it's, uh, I think that there's, there's, there's going to be room for this. Um, I don't think it's going to basically uh, oh, you know, take over the, the YouTube or Vimeo space because the, obviously of the, the length of time that you can, you can post a video. If you're a content creator and you want to you talk to people and get messages across and actually educate or entertain, I think most of the time you're going to need more than 15 seconds. So that would be the killer for me. But then you, you look at, you mentioned YouTube and Vimeo. So is this, so YouTube is Google, obviously. Vimeo is, is Vimeo. Does this mean that that Google and Vimeo need to uh, become competitive? And are we going to, in the future, Darling, you can start with this. Are we going to, in the future, um, see these micro videos coming out of YouTube, like a YouTube light where they can, you know, you go in there and there's another app and you can do this sort of, you know, Instagram video or Vine thing. Is that coming? That's that's an interesting question. I mean, Google Plus sort of was their answer to Facebook, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, good question. Who knows? Um, uh, on on a little bit of an off note, if you guys haven't seen this, uh, I was thinking about videos when you were talking. Have you seen the the commercial for the Rolls Royce Wraith? No. I think it's Wraith. You got to Google that. Um, Do I really want to see that? Yeah. I'm afraid. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's spectacular. <laughs> they show the making of this thing, and it was done with like 100 cameras because they've got a freeze frame thing in the middle. It, it'll blow your mind. I'll, I'll put a, a link to it in the show notes. Please do. Yeah. Wow. I don't know. Video. Is video the future? I don't know. We've been having this conversation, it feels like, for like 18 months to two years, you know, back when, back when uh, the video on DSLRs was relatively new and people were like, oh, you know, I don't want to do that. I'll never shoot video. It's editing and processing and storage and all that. And now with these new services, it feels like it's 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 coming mainstream, you know, at least these little segments. I don't know. You you know, you you know what? I, I, I love video. I mean, I, I don't think I've got those GoPros. They're finally working now. I'm happy. You got your GoPros working. What happened? What was it? It was well. It, it was a, a change of the hardware, uh, but also they did, they still didn't really work after that. But then the April firmware update. I think it was either the beginning of it was probably the beginning of May. And um, there was a firmware update that uh, really calmed them down. And I I got some pretty cool footage in Namibia with them. So I'm glad I took them. I actually was updating them in, in the hotel on the first few nights. Um, but yeah, they're, they're working now, and I'm enjoying video. I think there's, you know, it's it's you can do things that you can't do with stills. My love, my passion will always be in still photography because you know I just love to take that slice of time, however long, and um, and just just freeze it. But I I also think that you know video's got a place, and it, there's you can be really creative with it. I'm I'm certainly not going to be. Um, one of those diehards that said, I'm, I'm never going to do still uh, video, you know, but 
It's, uh, I think the, the biggest thing for me is switching the mindset. And we've probably had this conversation as well, so I'm not going to go on about this. But the biggest thing for me is when I'm out in a stills frame of mind, I usually focus on stills. And it takes a little bit of a mental shift for me to then jump into, okay, now I'm going to get a bit of video mode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, if you want to get really good video with panning and all of that, you need a whole different set of gear. Oh, man. So, I know. So, yeah. I mean, it, I think that it's in the, to the extent that I'm doing it right now, I really enjoy it and I'm going to continue. Um, if you really want to do video, you've got to leave the house as a videographer, not a yeah, photographer. Yeah, it's not like you're going to do a, a photo walk and capture decent video like you can with photography. You can kind of go out with your backpack and put yourself in a different area and come back with some decent, some pretty cool artistic shots. With yeah. video, I think, from my perspective, it, it takes a little bit more... Um, Mm-hmm. Like pre preconceptualization or thought about what you're gonna do. So when you go out, you're like, okay, I need an establishing shot. I need this shot. I need a close up of this, and I'm gonna tell this story and and those sorts of things. And, and unless you're just going to get a a couple of seconds of like flowers blowing in the wind on the beach, you know that kind of thing. So I don't know, Darlene. Will you do you see yourself? I know you you do a lot of workshops and training and that sort of thing. Do you see yourself adding video either on the you know, full-on consumer Instagram Vine side or DSLR video editing, capture, post-production, all that stuff to your training curriculum? Well, um, not to my training, um, to my own repertoire, possibly. I know very little about video. Personally, um, I mean, my camera does it. That's about the extent of my knowledge, <laughs> right? There's this um, weird red button on there. I don't know what yeah, it does. Yeah, 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 yeah. I use it for focusing macro. <laughs> <laughs> You've reprogrammed the video button. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got a secret. But anyways... Um, no, I'm getting into video because I'm I'm going to be moving into doing, you know, like video classes and, and virtual classes. So I'll be videotaping those things and producing them. Um, so I need to, you know, up my knowledge of editing and shooting the stuff, right? I mean, I think because I have a background in, you know, portrait photography, I can, I can set up a background and I can light myself. But mm-hmm. where do I go from there is sort of the other piece of it. So I don't think I'll be teaching video anytime soon, but I will definitely be using it in my business. Cool. All right. Uh, well, we'll definitely link over to that uh, that Rolls Royce link that you put in there. I'm uh, I'm excited to take a peek at that after the show's over, and I'm gonna play with Vine a little bit. So uh, not Vine, um, the uh, Instagram video. So listeners, if you want to follow me on Instagram, I'm just Frederick Van. Follow me, and I'll put some video on there. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I'm gonna put on there. I'm gonna find Farting. something something to shoot <laughs> that moves. I have no idea what it's gonna be, but I'll put it up there. My nephew can do armpit farts. <laughs> Get him on there. <laughs> put, put him on. I'll beat him. I can do leg farts with your, you know, where your leg bends at the knee. I can do those. So. I'm, I'm not going to comment at this point. No, that's just weird, Frederick. <laughs> we're we're dig- digressing. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's move on to story number two. So uh, the AP or the Associated Press has invested in a company called Bambooser. Uh, for crowdsourced news footage. So basically, a few weeks ago, we discussed that the Chicago Sun-Times made the decision to lay off their entire staff of photographers. That was in, I forget what episode number, but it was titled, The Chicago Sun-Times Hates Photographers. Um, But now the Associated Press, or AP, has invested in the mobile video sharing site, Bamboozer. And what they do is they're a crowdsourced video sharing site that's targeted at gathering video of breaking news or major events. So basically, a bunch of people go out, they have bamboozer accounts, and something 
interesting happens. And now all these people are shooting it and uploading it to Bamboozer. AP is an investor, is an investor in Bamboozer. And theoretically, I don't know how the mechanics work, but they can pull from that footage and then put that out on the newswire for all the news agencies that subscribe to AP to use in their news gathering efforts. Um, so the AP videographers have been using the site for several years already to record, both record and transmit videos from the field. And the AP investment in Bamboozer is, the rumor is it's somewhere in the six figure range, which, you know, I don't think that's significant. That could be, you know, $100,000, which in today's dollars is about $12 in Silicon Valley. So, <laughs> so we don't know what all this means, but we thought we'd bring it to your attention. But in the context of TWIP, Martin, I'll throw it to you first. In the context of TWIP and the stuff that we talk about on this show, especially considering the Chicago Sun-Times decision to lay off their staff, looking mm. at this, is this a vector or an arrow that's pointing towards all commercial or professional journalistic style efforts are being deprecated down and the the idea of just reaching into the crowd and letting the crowd since they're all enabled with iPhones and Android and Google Glass and all this to capture the images pull it from them first is it better to pull it from them or or are we doing the wrong thing or are they doing the wrong thing well I, I think that there's the vectors certainly heading that way and um, I think that there's always going to be room for incredibly high quality photojournalism. Um, but I think that, that what we're going to see is more, the photojournalist is going to be more like an art photographer where they're out doing their thing, but they're, they're creating stories uh, with the Im imagery and the, the text. Um, but they're, they're probably going to be more for the long, long format editorial stories. And, I think that more and more the news is going to be come from coming from the guy on the street, and the sad thing is, is that we. I mean, you remember the when the the hoods the plane went down in the Hudson River and the guy with his iPhone got the the video. Yeah, that we didn't really care that that was crap video because it was like, oh my God, there's a there's a plane going down in the Hudson, mm -hmm. and and so you know I think that we we basically you know as animals as the human the human animal basically just focuses in on what's in the scene and not necessarily the quality of the the imagery that you know if it's really bad it's going to be it's going to be tough but i think that phones and things like that are at a point now where you can shoot some relatively good video i mean the iphone 5 i'm not sure about the earlier ones it does, it does 1080p video mm -hmm. and yeah. until 4k 4k uh, displays you know televisions and things become the norm that's going to be really nice anyway so I reckon that the vector is certainly going towards your everyday news is going to be captured by your everyday person. Um, I, and you I know, think I would argue, just to play devil's advocate to, to your comment there, I would argue that, yeah, you could have the greatest capture device in the world mm. and, and with who oh, knows yeah. what resolution. But if you don't know how to wield it, you're like a kid yeah. with a fire hose. Oh, I, I totally agree. And, and I think that the thing is, is that... The people that have got no idea how to, you know, to how to even hold a camera relatively steady won't be being picked up from Bamboozer. I think it's going to be the ones that can hold it a little bit steadier and, and are, are acceptable. I mean, the, unfortunately, the thing is, is that good enough is becoming, is becoming popular. And although there's, there's always going to be room for the, the, the highly skilled photojournalist, um, I think that unfortunately they're, they're going to be gradually phased out and, I think that, like I say, the the stories that photojournalists come up with are probably going to be more long format. Um, but I, I I do think that 
it's sad and I, and I, I definitely don't like the, the way it's going. But I, I think that there's, there's way to, I think it's got too much momentum now. Um, yeah. And I think because we don't, the, the general, we worry about, about whether or not something's really well uh, photographed or videoed because we do it. But I think that the average person on the street tunes out to that. You know, they, they just they just think about what's actually happening, and not so much the fact that it's crappy video. Darlene, are we are we moving or moving might be um, too late. Are we already in the generation of the sort of YouTube good enough sort of thinking, where you know YouTube sort of set the bar or lowered the bar of what is acceptable motion video and television whereas before it was whatever you saw on tv it was edited it had an intro and outro it had transitions all this and then youtube came on the scene and sort of lowered the bar of like okay you know here's here's a you know a dancing baby you know and it's it's kind of <laughs> cool you know and it gets 20 million views goes yeah. viral yeah <laughs> what do you think um it's interesting because i mean to go back to again the current events going on in Alberta just because it's front of my mind right now. Um, I mean, I've been watching videos on the flood here, on some on YouTube and um, some on the news. And even the TV stations here, one of them has a live Twitter feed with the hashtag right on their front page. Hmm. You know, so even it's, it's happening here too, right? And that's not Bamboozer or whatever other source. It's just right from, from Twitter feed. Um I never heard of Bamboozer before. I had to go look at the site and I looked at it and honestly, I kind of searched around a little bit and I didn't find a lot of high quality stuff. I, I, I kind of go back to the um, the point of, like I like to say this about wedding photographers, is being a wedding photographer, and I think it applies to journalism as well, is being in the right place at the right time with the right lens on, right? And so part of that being in the right place thing is, you know, this events happen, like like Martin mentioned, the plane going down, or, you know, if something happens and you're standing there and you, you know, take out your phone and you videotape it, of course, that's going to be better than the one that's not there, right? Mm -hmm. So I think there's benefits both ways. You know, there's always going to be a case of I was there and I got it versus the pros weren't there just because it was you know, happening right now, right? Like the Boston Marathon incident. Um, and then there's going to be other cases where, um, again, to go back to the flood, there was quite a few pros that did go around the flooded streets and took a bunch of photos. And then uh, one guy put together um, sort of a compilation of, of stills and photos with um, some messages at the end about, you know, where you can donate and some hopeful things at the end about, you know, we will recover and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And I also think there's benefit there's there's a place for that too so i think there's a place for both i i agree i have to agree with you i think it's not it, we always get into this mindset of either or you know and it, it it's i don't know it's like a photographer dna thing it's either it's mac or windows it's nikon or canon it's raw or jpeg it's you know, micro four thirds or full frame, you know, it's always something or something when, when we totally overlook the idea of and, right? Mm, so it mm -hmm. could be this and that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. What do you think, Martin? You, you think there's, I mean, the market has room to grow to accommodate different forms of, of image capture and storytelling, right? Mm. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I think that, you know, from, from the photographer's mindset, um, we often do an or instead of and. Um, but I think the unfortunate thing is that, and I'm seeing this more and more with requests for stock images, is people, um, companies 
generally when they find out they can get something for free even if it's not the quality that they would prefer right. once they find out they can get something for free the budget goes away right. and so I, I get asked all the time we love this photo can we use it in our magazine yes it's going to cost you this much I'm represented by offset go and look here um, and the next thing is oh we don't have any money we just want to use the photo so I'm like yeah well okay well I can't play I can't pay my rent with with your magazine so right. I'm afraid you're gonna have to find uh -huh. another one yeah. Um, so it's it's like it, and that's what happens. Uh, and it's the same thing with these news, newspapers that are cutting their photography staff. They're they're kind of digging their own graves. But I think also there's like I say, the people are going to get used to the lower the lower quality stuff. And I don't think I, I would love what I would love to see is publications like the uh, the Chicago Sun Times finding in a few years time that they're the people that buy their newspaper has dropped to 10% um, and they're having to lay off the chief editor as well because they haven't got any money left. Um, and all of that stuff would be great, but I, unfortunately I don't think it's going to happen. I think that they'll do fine with the crappy, crappy um, I know. I mean, video my, and stuff. When, when I saw that story about the Sun-Times, my first knee-jerk reaction was, wait, that newspaper is still around? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, not, yeah. no disrespect to the people that work in newspapers, well, maybe a little, but I'm thinking like <laughs> newspapers were, remember all the news like 10 years ago, it, it was the all in the news about newspapers are going away because of the internet, it's killing them and, you know, who wants this dead tree and blah, 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 all this stuff. Yeah. And now you fast forward to 2013 and we're hearing about this stuff and it's news. Mm. So I don't know. My first reaction was, really? They're still there? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, that, that's certainly there, but I think that what's happening, though, I mean, most of the newspapers, my wife still gets a physical newspaper. She's not a computer person. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's, and you know, there's a, there's a certainly still a large percentage of the, of the, uh, the population that don't necessarily take, get all of their news and everything online. I do. I, I just never pick up a newspaper. I go to my RSS feeds and I'll do all of the stuff that I want to do online. But there are still people that get those things. But for sure, I mean, they're hurting. the the printed The printed word is is hurting. Um, I think that there's always going to be a place for sitting with a book, but obviously the the Kindle and and PDFs and eBooks and things are killing all of that as well. Um, so we're certainly changing. And but I I think that there's it's going to take a while. But you know, maybe at some point soon, we're just going to be. Um, you know, not really in as interested in the physical book. But I, I think also we're probably going to end up seeing like those science fiction things where you saw someone pick up a what looks like a, a, a sheet of plastic and then all of a sudden the newspaper appears on it. It's like a giant it. iPad. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. I mean, my wife would probably read that if it looked okay. Yeah. I mean, we saw we see sort of the the uh, the writing on the wall for that with Google Glass, right? Because I can, yeah. I don't know that you know, never say never, but I don't know that I would I would wear Google Glass right now in in its current incarnation. But I would love to have to be able to go stand in front of my mirror while I'm shaving or brushing my teeth in the morning and have yeah. like the weather and the latest news stories and my RSS feed and yeah. you know tweets from people I know and Facebook all that stuff on the mirror while I'm doing something else on that glass not in front of me all the time that that's going to be great and I'm sure it's not not that many years in the future um, but the thing I, the, the point I was going to make at the end there was that I um, I still think, though, for all of this stuff, no matter what the medium is, we're still going to need 
um, imagery to to back up the text. We're yeah. not going to necessarily read everything without any images. So I think there's still a place for for having the the imagery. Um, and also, I mean, the the newspaper she won't take it, but the newspaper that my, my wife reads here in Japan has a digital version on the iPad. It looks beautiful, but the images are often replaced by videos, so it's actually more rich. Um, and it costs less, and you don't have to kill trees to do it. But um, I'm not bitter and twisted or anything. But she still she <laughs> prefers the, the dead tree version. Um, but I, so I mean, the point is, is that they, I think we still need the imagery, and and they also because of that shift, there there's more and more requirement for video as instead of that. So that's why these the Chicago Sun Times were um, were training them in videography, iPhone videography as well as photography. So mm-hmm. it, it's yeah. going that way. It's just. It's, yeah, it just feels bad for people that are in an industry that re- relies on being paid for the photography, and, and it's sad, but I think it's I think it's happening. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's crazy times we live in, but you know it's exciting. You know, it's a yeah. it's exciting change and a terrifying change at the same time. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, let's move on to story number three. And this one, speaking of terrifying, let me read this this uh, to you so I make sure I get it right. So the Los Angeles Times reported uh, that a 23-year-old Christina Calderon of Linwood, California, was walking with her friend at the intersection of Hollywood Boulevard and Highland Avenue at 8 p.m. last Thursday, as we record this, when they noticed three men begging for money with signs laden with obscenities. So they pulled out their cell phones and started snapping photographs of the transients, and the men began demanding money in exchange for these photos. When the two women refused to hand over any money, they were attacked. And Calderon was stabbed in the torso. She was taken to a local hospital where she later died of her Im- her, uh, her injuries during surgery. So, horrible, horrible story. And I, I think I put this on, on Google Plus as well. This is uh, horrible. I mean, there's no other way to look at this other than horrible. And some people are saying, well, you know, they should have paid. How come they didn't give any money to the to the homeless people? And what are they doing out there in the first place, all this? And my, my response overall is there's no excuse for stabbing someone. <laughs> you know, right. I don't care. There's just no excuse for stabbing or killing another person. I don't I don't you can't justify that. Oh, they should have gave him ten bucks and they'd still be alive. Maybe, but still, if the person wasn't stupid enough to stab another person, they'd still be alive too. So to the to this group, you know, to to you guys, I want to put it to you. So the safety concerns about people when you're out shooting specifically because we do a lot of photo walks in fact we're doing a this week in photo photo walk this evening as we record this um craig colvin is out leading a photo walk in san jose for this week in photo i couldn't be there sorry folks um because i'm doing the show but he's doing that but when you do these sorts of photo walks or events or darlene you're out doing your workshops outside martin you're in parts of the globe undiscovered how do you, what are the the steps that you take to just be cognizant of the fact that you are you you may be a target you're walking around you know in the case of of Christina Calderon she wasn't you know she didn't have expensive gear with her but in the case of people that listen to this you have many thousands of dollars of gear with you and you're out doing this stuff what steps can you take to safeguard Martin against just you know something like this happening or you know, maybe to a lesser degree, just being robbed or something. Mm. 
Well, before I say anything, I, I want to say that, you know, I've got to, I take after my dad in that I often find that after saying something, I actually had my foot in my mouth. So before I say anything, I've got to say that, you know, there, there is no excuse. I totally agree with you. And this is terrible. Mm. And, you know, the, the poor girl that, that was killed, it, you know, my heart goes out to her and her family. So if I say anything that makes people say, well, why are you saying that? Just ignore the fact that I had my foot in my mouth yeah. um, because it, it is terrible. Um, but I think that the thing is, is you, you do need to realize that um, if you're going to point your camera at someone that is in a desperate situation and it, no matter how calm things might seem, if someone's homeless, they're desperate. Um, and so it's, it's terrible, but it, you, what you really need to do is, and I, I think that the, the tendency to photograph uh, homeless people is dangerous to start with. Mm-hmm. Um, not saying that it was it was okay for him to stab the girl. Obviously, it was ridiculous, but um, the they're desperate people, and I think that what people probably would be better off doing is if you if you decide that you're going to try and make do a project or even just get a, a few photos of homeless people, the first thing you should do is is leave your camera in your bag and sit down and start talking to them and actually get get to know the person. Right. Uh, you don't have to make them your best friend. You don't have to invite them into your homes. You but you I mean you could, but the I mean you, it's I think it's only it's only courteous that you you actually sit down and and make that person understand that you respect them before you say, "You know what? I'm I'm a photographer. I'd love to take your photo. I think you've got a great face." And you know, and then work into it. But that goes that goes for anybody though, right? Not just homeless it does. people. It it does, you yeah. could be you could see some yuppies sitting having lunch in Silicon Valley and you want to get a shot of them. Right. You don't just whip out your camera and start shooting them indiscriminately. You probably want to go over to them and say, Hey, um, you guys look you look you look interesting, you have interesting faces. Would you mind if I snapped a couple of shots of you? And they'll either well, say yes or no. Right? With all by all means. I mean that's obviously the case, but what the point is is that the, the yuppie drinking coffee is probably not desperate and gonna stab you. Correct. Um, well, it so, depends on the day he had, but yes, yeah, correct. Yeah. Um, so, so the, that's the thing. I mean, it's like, it, it's, not a, it's not a defense mechanism. It's not a defense thing that I'm talking about. I think it's just common courtesy. Um, so, you know, if that had happened, maybe they wouldn't have asked for money. Maybe they would. Um, but, you know, I think it, the, the situation can be diffused better if you approach it differently. Um, but it doesn't excuse the fact. I mean, the, the guy w- was obviously a total lunatic and, and he deserves... Um, everything that's coming to him, but Correct. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I I totally agree with you, and I think your your point is well taken. It's it's treat treat people as people, regardless, and you know don't don't just don't just shoot indiscriminately. And this act is not excused at all, zero. Right. You know, and Absolutely. you're right. This whatever happens to the person that committed this crime, if found guilty, should they should be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. Darlene, you know, you, when you look at the when you look at this, and you um, I know you read the story. Mm-hmm. Um, from you know from a female perspective when you're looking at this you you know unfortunately you have to be a little bit more cognizant of your surroundings than say you know a guy so in other words so when i go out if i'm going out and i say you know i don't want to take some pictures downtown la i want to get some you know some magic hour long long shadow shots in la and i go out with my camera i'm shooting I'm probably not going to be too worried around sunset, but as a female, you need to be cognizant of where you are at all times because bad things can happen. Now, do you feel that? Now, when you overlay that with with being a photographer, how does that, how does that all work together? How do you manage that? 
Well, it's interesting because, I mean, I just wrote down a couple of things here and one of them was being situationally aware. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I've taken, you know, self-defense classes and I'm also a fairly small stature person. Like I'm five foot nothing, right? Mm -hmm. So besides the fact of female, I'm small. And the self-defense classes that you take as a female, I mean, one of the things they tell you is, you know, don't look like a victim, don't act like a victim and be aware of what's going on around you at all times, right? Um, I've also done quite a bit of work with inner city organizations here and the homeless um, at a group called the Bissell Center. They have a drop-in center and I've done lots of work, you know, serving lunch to homeless people. And I do a, a New Year's dinner every year and we serve like a thousand people dinner. And so I'm, I've had a lot of interactions with the poor and the homeless people, right? So yeah. it's not something – because I don't want it to go and see it swing the other direction where people are now afraid of homeless people. Because yeah. most of them are not going to stab you. They're just poor, right? And their situation is is – you know, such that they're in a bad place um, and they need a hand or whatever, but they're not, they're not generally going to stab you. Um, having said that, I was in a situation once where uh, I was driving down the street and, you know, there's, every city has good areas and bad areas, right? Whether it's daytime or nighttime, right? That you sort of just don't go to. And I wouldn't say this was a completely bad area, but it was like a lower income area. And there was a building that had burned down and they had a fence all the way around it. And I thought it was photographically interesting. And I happened to have my camera. So I stopped, got out of my car. And all I had with me literally was my camera and my keys to my car. The rest was all in the car. So I got out and I walked sort of around the corner and around the block, took my photos. And then this guy with the shopping cart was sort of coming the other direction, blocking my path. Right. Mm. And he made himself sort of be really obtrusive and in my face. And he said, take my picture, take my picture. And I kind of said, no, I don't want to. You know, that's OK. And he basically wouldn't leave me alone until I took his picture. And then the second I took his picture, well, now he wants money. Right. Mm. And so I'm, again, very aware of the situation. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, has he got a pair of scissors in there? Is he going to stab me? Because that actually went through my mind, right? And so I was very conscious of, okay, I need to get away from this guy. And I was able to distract him because uh, another homeless guy actually pulled up with his cart and started rifling through his things. And so I said, hey, that guy's stealing your stuff. And I ran back to my car. Um but I mean, it was kind of, I was nervous for sure. And there was nobody else on the street. You know, I'm not sure what would have happened had he decided to take off after me. You know, I'm sure I could have outrun him or what have you, but I don't want to find out. Yeah. But I think in the, the situation of these, these girls, I mean, I wonder how much of it is, you know, they don't say, are they, they locals? Are they tourists? You know, where are they from? I don't know where she was from. But being situationally aware, and maybe that's something that we need to think about teaching our young people, especially females, like you said, because if they had been sort of more aware of maybe this is a typical, a, a sensitive situation, maybe I shouldn't be taking this guy's photo, this might not have happened. Like Martin said, not excusable in any way, shape or form what he did. Um, but the fact that the sign was laden with obscenities, there's some anger there. Right. Mm, yeah. um, I would tend to avoid that kind of situation. But I've also had really great interactions with homeless people. You know, I'm mm. the kind of person that um, I generally don't give them money, but I will go buy a homeless person lunch, mm. you know, or um, in Portland last year when I was there, there's a lot of homeless in Portland and they talk about the situation there. And um, I was going down the street and I came across these four young people, like we're talking like in their 20s, right? And they were all homeless. And this guy had a backpack and a cat sitting on his head. 
And I thought, of course, that's interesting and I want to take his photo, right? But I sat down, like Martin said, and talked to them first, right? I had my camera. They could see it. I talked to them for probably 20 minutes. We had a great conversation. And then I said, hey, can I take your picture with your cat on your head? He's like, yeah, sure, no problem. And I did end up giving them, you know, 20 bucks or whatever. But it's that relationship that you make with them first and you're not threatening. Yeah. I think that that's salient voice, uh, salient advice. I think the 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 takeaway from this whole story is is to just be careful, right? And use common sense when you're when yeah. you're talking, especially as a photographer out there with gear, and especially as a a five foot nothing female out there. You know, you have to mm-hmm. you have to keep your eyes wide open at 180 degrees around you. Or do what I did: and marry a guy who's six foot two as a taekwondo expert. Yeah, but you can't I'm, keep I'm, him in your back pocket. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's kind of yeah. big. And, and I don't want to marry a guy that's six foot two either. No, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> Me either. Me either. That, that would not be But good. that's a good point. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, that was perfect. Thank you. Thank you for chiming in on that. Before we continue with the show, I want to um, thank our sponsor of this episode of This Week in Photo, and that is Shutterstock. This episode is brought to you by Shutterstock.com. At Shutterstock, you'll find the perfect image or video for your next creative project, whether it's for your website, a publication, an advertisement, a video, or another type of project. You can choose from over 26 million high-quality stock photos, illustrations, vectors, and video clip. Now, Shutterstock sources their images from around the world and puts them at your fingertips. And many of the contributors to Shutterstock are professional photographers and artists. And Shutterstock reviews each image individually for content quality before adding it to its library. Shutterstock adds about 10,000 images each and every day. So every time you visit, you're going to find something new to look at. Shutterstock has flexible pricing, so you can choose individual packages or a monthly subscription for the best deal. I mean, you can download 25 images a day with a standard subscription, and you can download any image in any size and pay only one price. Now, Shutterstock gives you the assets you need to bring your creative projects to the next level and They make it easy with sophisticated tools to help you search and drill down by subject, asset type, gender, emotion, color, and more. And a new spectrum, too. You can sort images by color spectrum. Now, many creative teams use that to get inspiration ideas, like they want to design something around the color red. They can search and find images that are in that color family. And they've got an award-winning iPad app. You can search on the go and use it to display your images during presentations and that sort of thing. So they've got uh, their iPad app actually uh, won a Webby Award. So it's amazing. Um, I love the iPad app. Just going just to go through the site for inspiration, much like I do with other sites. You can go through Shutterstock and get inspiration even if you're not buying anything. It's just, you know, just use it. Why not? They've got offices located in more than a dozen com- countries, Germany, China, China, Italy, Brazil, Belgium, etc. And uh, they're a true global marketplace for buyers and creative contributors. They've got a multilingual customer service group with dedicated corporate reps and full-time customer support 
through the week. And even for TWIP, we use Shutterstock. For example, we were looking for an image to use uh, for this blog post or for the blog post that will go with this episode of the show. And I wanted a newspaper photographer. And all I did was go to the Shutterstock.com and type in the word newspaper and photographer. And boom, I got exactly the image I had in my mind, which was an old school photographer, black and white, you know, with the fedora on, holding up an old school camera. And that's what I want. And that's now the hero image for this blog post or for the episode of this or this week's episode of TWIP. Now, if you want to try Shutterstock, you can do so today by signing up for a free account. You don't need a credit card. You can start yeah, you can just start an account and begin using Shutterstock to help you sort of visualize and imagine what your next project might look like and save your favorite images to a light box to review later. And then if you decide to purchase, you can use the offer code TWIP6 uh, and new accounts will receive 30% off any package. That's Shutterstock.com and for 30% off new accounts, just use the offer code TWIP6 and we thank Shutterstock for their support of the show. All right, guys, it is time for our listener Q&A. This is the segment where you guys, the guests, get to answer questions from the This Week in Photo listeners. Question number one is from Catherine Crosby. She posted a question in our Google Plus community. She says, I use Lightroom on a Windows laptop with my photos on an external drive. I'd like to use a MacBook Air for on-the-go editing, particularly now that smart previews will be available within Lightroom 5. I imagine the MacBook Air is not robust enough for all editing, so I would use a Windows desktop at home. Is this a feasible option? I really don't want to invest the dollars necessary to have an iMac and a MacBook Air. So, Martin, let me let me throw this to you first. Do you what do you think? Do you think so her workflow is she wants to have a Windows machine at home for kind of the workstation editing and then on the go, a light MacBook Air, and then she's going to use the smart previews to, uh, to kind of be portable with that. Is that feasible? Absolutely. Um, all, all you have to do is, I mean, this is basically what I don't do it anymore, but this is what I used to do. Um, and what you need to do is make sure you go to the, to the catalog settings in Lightroom Go to the metadata tab and ensure that the automatically write changes to XMP checkbox is on. Mm. And then uh, when you get home, you've got, you've got all of your images from a trip, say, or, or all of the changes that you've made while traveling or you know, anything that you've done on the MacBook Air. As long as you've got the, you're making sure that it's writing changes to the XMP files, then when you get home, you need to use a, some software. You can drag and drop the images, but um, you only want to really... Uh, transfer the images that you've changed or the XMP files that have been changed. So, I mean, I use a, now on, on a Mac, I use a piece of software called ChronoSync and you can set that up so that when you get home, all you do is click a file, op open a file in ChronoSync and you've set that up so that it will take the images that are on your, your MacBook Air and copy them back to your Windows machine. And Say once you've done that, you then go back into the folder that you've been working in, in Lightroom. Right-click it, uh, right-click the folder, and synchronize it. And you can synchronize metadata updates and everything like that. And then it'll it'll understand the new the changes that you've made uh, while you've been on the road in the other machine. Um, but the other thing to note is that you also probably want to use ChronoSync uh, to pull all anything that you need to use. You need to have it on the Mac as well. Uh, if you're going to be editing deep, but if you're going to be using the new the new Lightroom um, features, you you can just make sure that you've got the uh, a, a link to them. 
And to do that, what you might want to do is to just go, you know, you can use the images that are on, you can reference and add the images that are on a Windows machine over the network from Lightroom. And if you've got them connected that way, then you can do it there. I mean, you'd need to figure out which is the best way to do it, whether to include them. I mean, I, I, in Lightroom, I actually reference the same images on four different drives so that I can do various things, um, whether, depending on where I am, whether I'm at home, on the road. Um, so I, I actually have images in four different locations. Um, it doesn't really slow the, the database, you know, it doesn't slow Lightroom down at all. Um, but you know, you, you could, if you use the the new the new fun functionality in Lightroom Five, not even copy them to the laptop. You could just reference them on the Windows machine, work on them on the road, and then when you get back, it's just going to automatically sync. So you know, it depends on really whether you need the the files with you or not, whether you actually sync them to and from the the MacBook Air. Excellent. But having having that hybrid sort of environment with a Mac and a Windows machine running Lightroom should be inconsequential, right? She should, there yeah. should be no problems there. Yeah, the, the, the catalog is actually even uh, interchangeable. You could take the catalog from Windows to, to Mac, but I've never really done that because I've never felt a need to do it. And the catalog is actually usually pre a pretty big file, so you don't necessarily want to be transferring that around each time. Um, but as long as you make sure that the, the changes, any changes that you make to, to, machine, to files on one machine are written to the XMP files, then when you get home, use something like ChronoSync. And ChronoSync will look, and if it sees that the original RAW file hasn't changed, it will only copy the XMP back to your Windows machine. Um, but again, that's something that I've always done until Lightroom 5. Um, and so I'll probably continue using that for a while. But uh, with, with the new features in Lightroom 5, you may well just be able to reference them on the Windows machine uh, from the MacBook Air. It, it really depends on how you, how you want to go, you want to do this, but it's definitely possible. Excellent. And Darlene, do you have anything to add to that? Um, well, I'm using a, a, a MacBook Pro right now, and, and I have looked at the Airs, and my my only thing would be to say to her, if um, if she's going to get the Air, I mean, max out, max it out, you know, I mean, get the fastest processor available, get max out the RAM, you know, get the uh, get the hard state, uh, solid state drive as big as you can because that will speed it up a little bit if you're worried about the robustness of it, right? Those are the places to, to max it out. My bigger question, I guess, when I first read it was if she has a Windows laptop, why does she want a MacBook laptop as well? I guess I was a bit confused by or is it something that she's looking at switching over? Because, I mean, you can go cross-platform with your catalog like like Martin said, but I think you kind of have to make a decision of what do you want your workflow to be would be my bigger question. Why Why do you want to do that, right? If you want a Mac Air for the road, then maybe you do want an iMac at home because I know for me, I would not like to switch back and forth from Mac to PC, right? Like I'm a Mac person, but... Um, and I use a PC at, at the part-time job that I do, and it's it's challenging because the keyboards are different and the shortcuts are different, and I press the wrong thing sometimes. Like I have to switch my brain into Windows thinking. Yeah, right? your muscle memory is designed for yeah. one operating system. Yeah, so it's kind of like if somebody hands me a Nikon, I'm like, you know, deer in the headlights, right, until I figure it out. It's like a foreign language. So I would say if you want to really streamline your workflow – Pick one and and just go with it. You know, neither is right or wrong. It's just what you get used to, and you can make either of them work. Just just pick one and go with it. 
All right, Darlene's saline advice: pick a horse and ride it. There you go. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you know what? Just one last thing. I, sure. I I hadn't I hadn't noticed that it was a Windows laptop, so that's a good catch there, Darlene. But I I, I think that if uh, if Catherine was to look at the specs, it's even possible that she could find that a, a relatively, maybe not even maxed out, although I agree with that advice because you can't change it, uh, but a, a, a reasonably high-spec MacBook Air could even be more powerful than her Windows laptop. Mm-hmm. Um, it depends on how much that laptop was and when she bought it. If it's, mm-hmm. if it's a few years old, the current MacBook Air will probably kick its ass anyway. Nice, yeah, well... Email Martin Bailey if you want to comment on that Windows user. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I was, I, was a, um, I was a Windows user since Windows 3.1, and I loved it. Um, but I, having changed, I don't think I can ever go back. And there's nothing wrong with Windows, but it's, it's just that having gotten used to a Mac now, I, uh, I, I prefer them. And I, but they are expensive. I mean, you'll, you'll pay more. F- if you want to get the same spec uh, on a Windows machine, you can get them for a lot cheaper, um, and they they both do a great job. So there's definitely no, it's it's another one of these. You know, you don't necessarily have to do one or the other. Um, but I, I agree, I agree that it's nice to have one system. Um, mm-hmm. But there are a lot of people that only that use Windows at work and Mac at home as well. And so I think you can do both. It's just it, it's definitely better to to go with one or the other. Definitely. I'd like to add something on that. I mean, my my MacBook Pro is is six years old, and mm. I'm at the point where I need to buy a new one because it's it's just slowing down. You know, I, I'm going to put Lightroom five on and CS sixes. Everything is slowing down, um, and I've maxed out everything on it that I can without. You know, I need a new processor. Is the bottom line, right? But it's lasted me six years, and I've mm. made few upgrades. Like I've upgraded the hard drive and the RAM, and I put new fans in and all that stuff. I, I found that I've had discussions with people that use Windows, and again, I'm not dissing PCs or Windows at all. Um, whichever you choose, get the biggest, best that you can. I can't stress that enough because I probably spent four grand on my laptop at the time, and my new one will be at least that much, you know, and it's going to last me again another five, six years. And, yeah. and the one last thing there, sorry for jumping back in, but if people do go for a Mac right now, Remember that most of them, because they've made them so thin, the memory is soldered to the to the motherboard, to the you know to the circuit board. So you have to get them if you want it. If you can think about that, you might want it maxed out. Max it out when you buy it, because mm-hmm. once you've got it, you can't change it. You um, they're they're all it's all pretty. I'm not sure if you can change the hard drive. I'm sure you can, but the the memory. Um, if you're going if you think, oh, well, I'll buy it with just eight gigabytes of RAM and upgrade later. You can't do that anymore. So, yeah, so bite mm-hmm. the bullet and go for the, the most RAM you can get in there. Love it. Yeah. Great, great and don't tell, don't tell Mac, but I have more RAM in mind than they recommend on my computer. Because you're, you're a hacker, right? <laughs> I can hear it in your voice, darling. Well, you're like you talking put, about if you put it adding in and fans it works. and upgrading hard drives and all this <laughs> stuff. You're not your average photographer. <laughs> okay, I admit it. I'm a geek. <laughs> That's good. The geek shall inherit. Don't worry. All right, guys. Um, let's move on to the picks of the week. Uh, this is the segment where you guys can pick anything to recommend to the TWIP army as long as it is somehow related to photography. Martin, I'm going to let you go first. What's your pick of the week? I'm going to go with an application that I've just started using. Um, it's called Photo Pills. It's basically everything that the photographer needs um, but these guys have made a great job of it's very html5 it's it's real it's a great little app but the planner in there 
Um, I'm sure people have used. I mean, I, I love Vela Clock, and then you've got the photographer's ephemeris for um, basically to, to show you where the sun and the moon are going to be at any one time. But the way they've inter- implemented this in PhotoPills, where you overlay it on a photograph and all of that, um, you can plan ahead. You can you can use it in the field. Uh, it's really really well done. And they've they've also got um, exposure, depth of field, hyperfocal table field of view and time lapse, uh, all sorts of tools for the photographer. I mean, this is probably uh, my my own app. I love it for the depth of field calculator. But apart from that, I mean, this is like the only thing you need. Um, and if you don't have my app, you can just don't bother. Just get this because it's the depth of field calculator is pretty good on here as well. So That's it's great. great. It's called Photo Pills and it's highly re- recommended. How much, how much does it cost? Um, it's not cheap. I, I I think I bought it from the Japan store for about eight fifty, so it might be up at around ten dollars. Right, I'm um, gonna look right now. Okay, I'm going I, to the app store as we speak live. What is it? Nine ninety nine. Yeah. Nine ninety nine. Okay, ten bucks. Yeah. Okay, cool. it's not cheap, but it's not, it's worth every penny That's or not every too cent. Bad. Yeah. yeah, I was looking at the site. Let me see if I can get back to the site. The it was site is that you great. Can, it will tell you the best times of day to shoot and all that good stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, watch the videos. They don't just run and buy it. If you watch the videos, and you'll be you'll be buying it before it finishes. Um, it's a great app. All right, cool. All right, that's scary. See, every time we get to this segment, it costs me money. And yeah, that's a lot of money over three hundred and thirteen episodes. There's, uh, there's another cool app that somebody else told me about, just sort of to add to the app list here. Um, I was doing a workshop on the weekend. We were doing a night shoot, and it's called Star Chart. Um, Basically, what he did was he swiped his phone up across the sky, and Mm. it started drawing in the constellations on his phone. It was, like, wicked cool. I love that, Uh, because I'm a big astronomy geek. I love all that kind of stuff. It's crazy. It's a little depressing, though, when you look at the stars, because they may be gone, but we're still looking at their lights. Anyway, that's a whole different show. (laughs) That's all there is. Show cool. is your star still shining bright, Frederick? Yes, my star is shining bright right now. <laughs> but you know, in the grand scheme of the cosmos, my little lifespan is only a blink. Anyway, anyway, darling, what's your pick of the week? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I actually going to add one. I have two now because of our conversation in the this week's episode. So my first one was a magazine called Pix P I X, and it's put out. It's a digital magazine. Um, I've put links to the iTunes store and to the um, to the actual link to the magazine for you. It's put out by PDN, which is Photo District News. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was reading the current one, which is the travel issue, and it's quite good. Um, you can load it on your phone or your iPad. I was just reading it on my on my on my laptop, and there was there was lots of good articles. I mean, we're talking like in depth travel stuff. There was photographers that you know showing their favorite places, what they like to shoot there. They even went into an article on hiking boots for like hardcore people. <laughs> That's cool. So yeah, it hiking was, it was boots really with good. pockets for for SD cards. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I didn't get that far. So that was my first pick. And uh, I just added one, which is InvisiblePeople.tv. And um, that's a project. No, I'm going to forget who does it. But the, I found out about it on on Google+. And the, this guy is going around and recommends, you know, other people can join in and do this, um, making videos and photo- photographing homeless people. So it was kind of along the lines of what we are talking about earlier, um, where he gets their story. So he's, he's getting their story. And uh, the whole point is to raise a awareness of homelessness and to get them help. So long lines of what we we're talking about earlier in regards to, you know, is photographing the homeless exploiting them? Uh, this is absolutely the opposite of that. Wow. 
That's good. And that's called PDN Picks. Is that the name of it? Uh, the um, PDN is Photo District News, but right. it's Pix, P-I-X magazine. Okay, okay. And the URL, okay, I see the URL yep. now. It's digitalmag.pdn.pix.com. So we'll link to it. We'll link to it in the show notes. Excellent. Cool. Anything else you want to add on there? Uh, No, that's it. Excellent. Cool. All right. Well, thank you for that, both of you guys. My pick of the week. So last week on the last episode, I recommended a site called Flern, P-H-L-E-A-R-N, Flern. Um, a guy by the name of Aaron Nace, also known as AK Nacer on Twitter, runs the site. It's an amazing site for for learning photography and compositing and retouching and all that kind of stuff. It's just really good. I, you know, I bought another tutorial today. I'm uh, I'm addicted to the site. I think, and he's coming on actually on Friday to, uh, or actually I'm going to interview him Friday. So he'll be in an upcoming episode of This Week in Photo talking about how he built Flern and why he built it and all that. But I wanted to continue the trend of sort of recommending these YouTube stars and these free resources that are available online. When this week I wanted to recommend Serge Ramilli. So he's a, he's a, another sort of ninja with Photoshop that knows more about the application than you know, most people on the surface of the planet knows, and he gives back to the community, you know, which sounds like a cliche, but he does. He's one of those people that has built a business around giving away free training and tutorials on YouTube that are highly valuable. But if you want to go deeper and get in depth into some of the techniques that he teaches, he has tutorials on his site that you can purchase and download, much like um, Aaron Naser. Aaron Nace. So um, definitely check him out. We'll link to his YouTube page in the show notes for this. But it's uh, it's amazing. Between, you know, and next week I'll have another one to share with you. But between all these, it's just like this library of these amazing tutorials that you can just sit down. You can build a little playlist on YouTube that lasts all day long and just be embedded in Photoshop and photography and, you know, these people with these amazing brains teaching you how to do this stuff. So def- definitely check out Serge's uh, his YouTube page and subscribe to him. All right, guys. Um, we are at the end of, geez, we're at episode 313 of This Week in Photo. At the end of the show, we're going to have... If you stay stay tuned after the closing, um, there's an interview with an amazing photographer. His name's Michael Freeman. He has, uh, geez, when you listen to the interview, he's got more books out than Barnes & Noble on photography. He travels the globe, and he's shooting, he's teaching, he's writing, he's doing all this stuff. Um, and he took the time to chat with me. I think he was in some exotic island when he did that. Um, so he... You know, you could you will learn an amazing amount just listening to that interview. So definitely stay tuned and listen to that. But uh, before we roll that, Martin, where can people go to keep up with you online and in the uh, in the physical universe? Well, if you go to the top page at martinbaileyphotography.com, everything's linked from there. Um, and also, I mean, at the moment we've still got a few places left for my 2014. Japan tours. So if you've ever thought of coming to Japan with us, go and look at mbpworkshops.com and uh, it'd be great to see you here in Japan next year. Excellent. Excellent. Cool. So mbpphotographyworkshops.com? It's just mbpworkshops. mbpworkshops.com. Yeah, okay. dot com. Perfect. All right. Well, thanks for coming on again. I appreciate it. Um, not at all. The pleasure's all mine. I was getting DTs from not coming on in May while I was in... Uh, I was in Namibia, so it was great. <laughs> well, it's good to have you back. Cool. All right, Darlene Hildebrandt, um, neighbor to the north. Where are, where can people find you online? 
Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at ProPhotoTutor. Uh, you can find me on Google+, and you can find me on my website. And um, just as a final note, I have got my Cuba photo tour confirmed, and uh, you can get information at that at herviewphotography.com slash Cuba. So and what's, that's what's be, that about uh, before we sign off? You're you're taking a group of people to Cuba? What's going on? Yeah, there? yeah. So basically it's it's not so much as a workshop as it is a photo oriented tour because um I wanted to build something where you know the t the typical tour is designed for people that, you know, you get to a place and then you have ten minutes there, right? And it you know, that frustrates photographers to no end because we show up at this beautiful location. Of course it's noon and you know, the lighting sucks and we'd like to come back in the evening and we can't right mm -hmm. so I, I wanted to design a workshop and I've worked with a local travel agent and tour company to do something where the time is flexible we can go where we want when we want and move it around as we see fit as the as the group wants to do so it's basically a photography enthusiasts tour as opposed to I'm not there so much as teaching them anything I'll be there for guidance but you know we get to get up early go shoot something and then have breakfast Nice. I love it. That sounds like fun. Very cool. Yeah. All right. So yeah, definitely give us the link to that. We'll we'll link to that in the the, uh, the notes for the episode. Will do. Cool. All right, guys. Well, thank you very much. And listeners, if you want to keep up with everything in the TWIP universe, you can check us out at thisweekinphoto.com. Also, please be sure to join our community over on Google+. And finally, if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me at frederickvan.com. And with that, it's time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production. Produced by Suzanne Llewellyn. With technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. I'm here with Mr. Michael Freeman. He's one of the, he's a, if you haven't heard of him, he's been around for, for a while publishing books. He's got more than 133 books on topics, including photography, but it, varied topics out there. And he's, uh, he's one of those, those photographers that is actually walking the walk and talking the talk. He travels half the year shooting and sharing and just, creating images and adding to the sum total of humanity. <laughs> so Michael's here to uh, to talk to me about how he got to where he is today and maybe give us some tips about how maybe we can follow in his footsteps. Michael, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. Frederick, you know, um, you, you just made that sound better than I possibly imagined it could be. <laughs> hey, talk, can we it's have a all talk you, later about, about a publicity contract? <laughs> 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 it's all you. It's all true, and you know it. You're being humble. You're being humble. So, Michael, let, let's talk about you. Let's talk about the background. So, go back, jump into the time machine. Take me back to the beginning when you when you had that moment of first discovering that you wanted to be a photographer. What what was the key moment, if you can if you can recall? Well, um, it wasn't so much a key moment of wanting to be a photographer. That grew up from childhood. It was a key moment of deciding that that's what I actually needed to do. Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to being in advertising, which I was, uh, I it was I've been around for a while. It was a different era when you simply followed. You did what you were told, basically. So you followed the 
the plan, which was you were at school. And when we say school in England, we mean, um, you know, before university. And the school, uh, my school was uh, extremely keen to get uh, as many people as possible into Oxford and Cambridge because that, you know, meant they got more uh, more parents coming with more children to be educated. So, uh, so I was I was pushed hard, and I I went to Oxford. I had no idea what to do. Studied geography. I had a great time, and when I came to leave after three years, I still had no idea what to do. But that didn't matter because in those days there was overemployment. You could have any job you wanted. Um, hard wow. to imagine these days. Overemployment. Wow. Okay. Yeah. You know, they, there was there was a book uh, printed on Bible paper and rather thicker than the Bible, called Dog, uh, Directory of Opportunities for Graduates, hmm. in which it's a very famous book at the time, in which um, employers from the government to uh, uh, ad agencies to anyone advertised themselves um, to uh, graduates. Could you imagine that? Amazing. Anyway, that, that's crazy. That's crazy. Now, now graduates have to do the work themselves, right? Well, actually, yeah. But the graduates have to do work that they don't want to do, like mm. you know, serving Big Macs. Nothing wrong with Big Macs, but you yeah, know, yeah, better to eat than to serve. Um, and so I went into advertising because. The best copy, surprise, surprise, in, in, this, uh, in this book was written by the ad agencies. It was fun. I was there for a number of years, a few years. I enjoyed it, but then I started to, well, the photography thing kept sort of welling up. And um, it basically, in those days, you, you, you didn't suddenly abandon all this education that your parents had and school would put you through just to go and do something like photography. That wasn't, it wasn't a, a serious option on the career horizon. But anyway, the whole story of how I did it, is, it, goes, it goes on far too long. But basically, um, and I was going for an American agency, a very big one, Benton and Bowles. They, mm -hmm. Their accounts were Procter & Gamble, General Foods, my accounts. Um, but they, they actually gave me, if you can imagine this, a sabbatical to go up the Amazon. Oh, no, it's hard to believe. But anyway. Wow. <laughs> sabbatical means they pay you and take you, take you back when you come back. No, no, it's, it's uh, another... So they paid, you, they paid you to go up the Amazon and, and do a photo story and you were... No, no, they, they, just, they just paid me while I went off and goofed off and... <laughs> so they say, hey, you just go relax, Michael. You relax, get yourself together, we'll pick up the tab. Well, they didn't pick up the tab, but they kept paying me is what I mean. Oh, that's amazing. That's no, amazing. it's another universe. Yeah. Anyway, it, things went on, went on, went on. I had a show, um, and it was Time Life who came to the exhibition that I was, of the pictures I, I, I managed to put up, borrowed them, and then eventually used them in the, the first of the continuity series that they were publishing out of London. And so that was it. So I started that way. Wow, that's great. So then, fast forward to to current. So you're b before we started the interview, you mentioned that, and I said during the intro there that you you travel most of the year. So what's the what's the mindset behind that? Other than you just you know, of course you have to travel to where the photos are. But do you love being on the road, or or is it just it's part of the the gig? 
I, I'm so used to it now, it's hard to imagine without. Well, when I say most, only just most of the year, it's always been a little bit over six months, like seven months wow. of each year. And I, well, it, it, it just, we just started like that. The, the job, that's where the jobs were. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've always enjoyed the exotic, so I certainly pushed to make it happen. But I hesitate to say, I wouldn't say I'm a travel photographer. I, I've always traveled to take photographs to where the stories were. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, in the end, I guess it got into my system. And, um, and the main place I travel to is Asia. So, um, and, and that's varied well. What's your what's but, your favorite your favorite uh, part of Asia? Your favorite country in Asia? I, you know, I don't know. I'm not I'm not I'm not greatly into bests and favorites because because um, they're all every, different. Yeah, yeah, they're all different, and it's the variety that makes the difference. But what happens is that there's always one country, one area that I'm concentrating at any one time for a number of years. I mean, like it started with Southeast Asia, in particular Thailand. And shifted, and these days I'm I'm traveling mainly to China, because well that's where the interest is, and that's and that's where things are happening, um, and also you know China's also a source of work, not just a source of imagery. Right, right. So one one tip. So a lot of um, on the show we talk a lot about photography and and how photographers. Just from a fundamental standpoint of of getting your gear from point A to point B, especially when you're traveling internationally, you being an expert traveler and a photographer, what what tips have you called over the years of how to get your gear safely from one place to another in order for you to get those to get the job done and get paid? Okay, first persuade the client to fly you business class, mm-hmm. and that removes all other problems. If you can't, you just have to. Um, I mean, one of the problems is is simply the amount of, of gear, and I've become terrible over the years. Um, I can't travel light, which is stupid, really. But um, I just got in the habit of it. But in terms of moving gear, well, um, basically, I everything that's important I pack in carry-on baggage mm-hmm. and my ca- carry-on bag normally when it's it's kind of the maximum iata size uh and it weighs usually between 12 and 15 kilos mm-hmm. so so the other trick is to be able to walk uh walk with it looking as if it's a lot lighter <laughs> That's amazing. So you have to master a certain gait so that you can appear not to be weighted down. <laughs> yes, indeed. I'm too lazy to go to the gym. So. Uh, well, actually, ever since wheelies came along, it's okay. Yeah. In the old days, you didn't have a wheel. Funny that. Why did Why did it take so long for baggage manufacturers to invent wheels? Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? Yeah. But anyway, no. The, but the important thing is that I, I, I make sure, of course, that what I have in my hands in my hot little hands is what i need to be able to shoot okay so, so if, if all wrong, if all hell breaks loose and yes. the airline loses everything and you have a shoot the next day you can yep. still get the job done as has happened yes indeed and that has happened really 
Mm, well, inevitably. I mean, it doesn't happen so much these days, but no, no. I see in America the people a lot less um, uh, take this a lot easier. I mean, I've flown quite a number of times in the states internally, where because the I mean, I think Americans are more used to flying than than any other country. China's catching up, by the way, yeah. but um, because they run the the schedule so close, the connections. It's it's not uncommon for bags to you know arrive on a later plane, and nobody seems to mind. It's all very efficient. But you know if you need to shoot when you land, you have to have that with you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mike, let's switch gears. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about some of the we we mentioned or I mentioned that you have some 133 plus books out there yeah. right now. And mm. some of the newest ones that you have out, there's one called um, Michael Freeman's Photo School Fundamentals. You've got Black and White Photography Field Guide. And one that I'm, I'm really interested in talking about as well um, that talks about um, special effects and, and sort of image manipulation and that sort of thing. So th let's start with the Photo School Fundamentals. How did that come to pass? And what, what's, what's that book or that series all about? Well, they, in fact, the, the three you mentioned, I think, oh, no, no, not the field guide, but the, but the, the, di the digital uh, image editing special effects is also part of that series mm -hmm. called Photo School. And uh, we've got eight books out there at the moment. And it, it's rather different from, it's certainly different from the, the, most of the books that I do. And we were brainstorming the publisher about what would be useful and interesting to do this was a couple of years ago. And I came up with this idea of photo school. And it's, it's pretty much as you'd expect. Because what we do is, it's like a mini course in photography. But the special thing, I think, is that um, with the help of a really excellent editor, Frank, on this, we recruited for each of the eight books a group of... Um, sort of student photographers, I mean advanced student photographers, mm -hmm. who were willing to um, each take the projects with which each um, little section of the book ends. So what we, what we do is we actually show um, the, the project work that's being set, performed by students, good students, um, with whom the reader can uh, empathize. That's the idea. And that's, I mean, I think it works very well. I mean, the so thing instead, is, of, instead of it being a, the, the instructor saying, hey, yeah, this is how exactly. you do this, it's, it's more of you working with a, with a student that's more on the level of what the target student would be that's reading the book and yeah. instructing them how to do these techniques so that you know, it's easier to consume. Yeah, well, it, it's it's more practical. That's mm -hmm. the point. So what we mean, what we're trying to do is to get people to actually um, not just sit there with their feet up and read it, but go out and do things. So at the end of each short uh, section, which can be only a few pages, then we we set a challenge, a project uh, for people to go out and shoot, and then show what other people, these students that we recruited actually did with that with their comments about what they were trying to achieve and my comments about what I, how well i thought they'd done uh, never brutal of course but mm -hmm. but trying to be constructive if there were things that 
you know, I thought that they could have uh, they could have done in a in a different way in a yeah, better areas way. Areas for improvement, right? Yeah, yeah. So I've never never tried this before, and I'm very happy with it. I'm very enthusiastic about this way of doing because it, it it makes it more alive, and it makes it practical. It, it's an encouragement to people to actually go out there and shoot because you know photography is practical. It's Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you've, you've gone on. Gotta, you've you've established a website for the for the the photo school as well. The URL is mfphotoschool.com, right? And that what's what happens on that site? Well, the, that that's that's what the publisher does, and the publisher takes care of that. Okay, um, got it. Uh, I mean, there there are so many things that I can I can do. I mean, one one of the problems is that, as you say, I'm you know I. Um, I'm trying to manage two things at once. One is photograph, mm-hmm. conti- continue the real photography, and the others, um, of course, write about it, which these days goes beyond writing because you've got websites, we're producing a video series now, and stuff like that. But m- my big concern is that if the, if the writing about uh, what I do about photography... Um, gets to be more than me actually photographing. Something's gone wrong. Right. I mean, I, I'm a, a real believer in uh, in that you, you have to do the the subjects. I mean, actually do it before teaching it. Yeah. 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 So you know, rather than just being esoteric about it and saying, "Hey, this is this is an f-stop and this is a shutter speed and this is how you do this," it it's you exercise your photography muscle and then you can come out and, and instruct other people on how to do the same thing. Well, I think so. I mean, that's, that's my view and it might, I mean, so others might disagree or might think it's a bit arrogant, but so I Michael, just looking, think lo- looking at one of your titles, you've got digital image editing and special effects. So looking at that title, one of the, I had a couple of questions for you. So the, in terms of your worldview, you know, and I'm using quote fingers, your worldview with regard to, image editing there's there seems to be a couple of camps and two main camps of on on the one hand some photographers say you know it, photography is pure it's an art form you should never you should get it right in the camera you know you shouldn't it's a digital negative you should get it right and then print it and do as little to the image as possible and that's photography at its purest form and then the other end of the spectrum there's the folks that say when I shoot, I'm capturing raw materials for my final piece, and I'm going to composite it and you know do whatever I want with it. Where where do you feel? You know, I have an idea of where you fall in there, but describe your your sort of worldview with regard to what I call pixel punishing. There's a very uncomfortable fence that runs down the middle of this DMZ. Right, <laughs> that's, that's kind of straddling it. No, I'm very ambiguous about this, but it's it, it's it's complex. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my greatest sympathy is with photography. Um, that that a photograph is about engaging with the world and taking photographs, not messing around with them afterwards. However, um. As with all kinds of equipment and techniques, if you're a professional or if you're a serious photographer, you you owe it to yourself to be proficient in all of them mm-hmm. so that you can use them when you need to. And 
something else came into this as well, which is um, a sort of ancient part of my history, which is before digital, I used to do quite a lot of um, special effects photography. And it was the Smithsonian of all people, the picture editor there, Caroline Despard, who encouraged me to do this, mainly because they used to have a lot of like science stories in particular that they wanted to illustrate, but with more than just you know pictures of the scientists and the stuff going on, but something, some form of photo illustration. And so I kind of developed all these techniques which were in camera and and bore the pants off you to hear about. But this goes as soon as Photoshop came along, that you know, all that went. And it, it became no longer very special. But but I had many years of 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 doing that. Yeah. Yeah, um, and that that and I'll tell you, for for me personally, that kind of photography is what lured me into wanting to to be a photographer is the special effects piece of it because I was like that's magical and it was I remember specifically when I was in the military it was we were learning about multiple exposures you know mm. and sort of getting our brains around how that happens and why when you it was film of course so how you know what's happening on the film and when you process it and you know and how you can do multiple exposures with the enlarger as well as in the camera and all this stuff and it just it was magical to me and now you found like you said you fast forward to today and you've got the you know f programs like photoshop that allow you to do these anything anything, anything. you want and things that you don't want you can do <laughs> <laughs> right so yeah I, it's crazy so you're kind of in the middle you're a purist on the one hand um it's all about the photo but you've got a lineage of manipulating we'll say halides right not so much pixels <laughs> you're, yeah you were you were manipulating silver halides back then we and now trying, you, we you've got a book out there so what's the book about well it, it's a, it's about this it's about the various techniques but then the the interesting thing is that it may seem that there's uh there is a dividing line but there isn't really because um let, all right, let me give you an example. You know, at either extreme, you know, everyone sort of understands what's going on, like the picture that's never been, you know, touched at all, straight out of the camera, fine. And at the other end, a piece of photo illustration for an ad, for example, or a billboard, yeah, um, which is amazing, and it, and it doesn't even pretend to be real, mm -hmm. yeah. but it's it, it it's cute. It's it's interesting, but but let me say this: um, these days there are all kinds of multi. This is just one kind of special effect of multi-shot imaging techniques, by which I mean HDR, for example. Yeah. Right, where you take, um, you, you basically you archive the light by taking a. A sequence of, of images. Now, the way I see HDR, and this comes to the heart of it, is what you use these techniques for. What what I use HDR for is if I'm doing commercial work, say an uh, interior, particularly an interior, then uh, rather than change the appearance of the interior with bringing in lighting, what I can do is create an image which actually claws back the highlights 
and the shadows. And my idea is that it still looks like a photograph. However, most HDR is used in quite a different way, in a way that I'm not interested in what, one little bit, which is to make uh, sort of, well, it's like photography on steroids. Um, over, it's oversaturated, yeah, and over high contrast. It's, it's more of a surreal look, right? But, you know, people, people like that. All right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't. The, the, the simple reason why I don't, because it's a fad. Mm -hmm. um, and in the end, they all look the same. And because they're extreme, they look very much the same. So where's your statement, you know, as the ind an individual photographer? How's that coming through? It's not. Right. So right. That, that's, it, I've got a practical objection to it, but it's obviously personal. But it's and a tool, right? Like HDR, like you described, exactly, it's the exactly. whole like using using the high dynamic range photography as a way to give you more reach as a photographer into the shadows and the highlights is one thing. Using that and cranking it up to ten to create something that is more artistic is something completely different, right? And you err on the, exactly. the side of using it as a tool to say do maybe architectural photography where you can balance the interior and the exterior at the same yes. time. No, and and that's great. But it goes beyond that, of course. You've got um you've got multifocus. Mm. Uh, where you can do focus stacking. Right. You take you know, you lock the camera off and it works spectacularly in close up, of course, in macro, and you rack the focus as you shoot. And lo and behold um, the software which can rescale and just choose the sharpest bits of each. Now, how pure is that? Is that pure? Now, to me, it is. Because I would argue that it's pure because I look I at it just like HDR. We, if you're if you're on the side of trying to represent the scene as closely as possible, or even better than what your human eye, our flawed human eye, can see, which is better than the camera, then your eye focuses on the distant objects and the close objects faster than you can perceive. So it seems like you're focus stacking in your head and doing HDR at the same time. Right? So when you're doing it in the camera, then you're just kind of trying to bring that, what my brain is perceiving experience into the, the, a single frame. Is that fair? Yes, I think it is. And, and the point is, as you said, it's a tool. So it's not a question of, do you approve of, of screwdrivers? No, it's what you're going to do with them. So there are all these techniques. How are you going to use them? Yeah. And you can use them just as you can use a camera in, in ways that are truthful or try to be and in ways that are the opposite. Yeah, um, yeah. it's just like so weapons. It's like gun it's control. It's all equipment. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. yeah. Yep. So it's a sort of, I, I don't know if that's a, a proper answer, but it's, uh, it's an interesting area. That's, I mean, that's a, that's a perfect answer. Now, what, another one of your books is black and white photography. So the, mm. the field guide that you have out there. So I want to talk specifically, and I, I'm going to be respectful of your time. So this will, I'll, I'll wrap it up after this. But the, the whole idea of black and white photography, I've, I have in my head, you know, I understand the romance of, of black and white and, and singular focus of, of a black and white image and how powerful mm. they can be. When you when you talk about black and white photographer photography today to the folks that are out there with the you know these newfangled Optimus Prime kind of uh, you know DSLRs out there that are shooting raw, is it? Talk to me from a from an educator standpoint of 
is it important to still think in black and white when you can do everything in post if if necessary whereas in the old days we had a roll of black and white film and we had to sort of pre-visualize in our head what that shot was going to look like yes it's very interesting i'm very positive about this um i think it's a good thing now interestingly i come from a world of where i was not into black and white photography i did very little of it because when when i was starting in the early part of my career oh, in fact, for most of it, I was shooting for magazines, and the magazines demanded color. The technology was there. Um, it's in the old days. Mm -hmm. I mean, really old days, you know, back in the 50s and that. Mm -hmm. Magazines like Life were in black and white. And when color technology, printing technology came about, and film technology and Kodachrome, then that's what everybody wanted. So along with just about every editorial photographer, well, not everyone, but most editorial photographers that, that I knew, um, we were shooting Kodachrome. And I actually loved color. I really in, enjoyed I felt. I've always had a feeling for color. So it's not just that it, it's in color, but you enjoyed the certain a play of colors, a, two colors together, particular tones. And so, although I did black and white photography, it was not my first love. But now, I find it much more interesting, and it's for exactly the reason that you said. You don't have to make that decision um, at the start. You can choose later to do something in black and white. Now, how you tackle that creatively is really a matter of personal choice. Mm -hmm. Because like in all kinds of art, in all kinds of photography, there are people who like to plan everything and, and then shoot towards that. And other people like to, well, let's go out and try this and try that. And the creative process extends to back at home uh, with the computer. We'll look at it and see what we think. And either is okay. And maybe even both, combining both together is better. So quite often what I do is, um, and I'm usually on some sort of assignment, so there are pictures I need to get. It's not quite as easy um, as doing it entirely for yourself when you can say, oh, well, I'm not interested in this, I won't do it. Um, no, I've, I've, I've been sent there to do something, and I need to come back with 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 a good image and one that's um, on message. So there are many situations where, um, and this is the negative side, excuse the pun, <laughs> uh, black and white, um, where the, the light, uh, say particularly the light, it, or the situation just isn't, isn't quite right for color. Very good example. Very high sun, midday, harsh light. It's quite often very difficult to work like that satisfactorily in color but in black and white it's quite a different matter because you can you can go to further extremes with highlights and shadows in in black and white you can process black and white satisfactorily interestingly to a greater extreme than you can process color so i mean i can there are quite a number of images i can think of right now where i was in a situation 
the the color version of what I had in front of me was not going to be very good. But switching to think black and white and knowing what I could do gave me confidence to shoot it as you know as a good image. Yeah. Uh, knowing that I was going to do certain things to it later to to do it in black and white only. Because now you have. But a, that's you, only it's, one it's example. A, in, in a lot of ways, it could be a safety net. And in, in a lot of uh, when I was sort of thinking about black and white, or when I think about black and white, if I'm looking at an image, I kind of think from the standpoint of um, it, does color add to this image, right? Or does it take away? Is it does it does it add to my subject? If it's a landscape. You know, does it, does it, is it part of what I'm trying to convey with this particular composition or is it a detractor? And then, then you can make those decisions later. Well, like you said, in the, in the past, we had to make the decision either carry two cameras loaded with film or, or, you know, or make pre-visualize the scene before we left the studio. Right. And, and also remember, not just what you loaded but your personality. People used to, basically, people tended to prefer color or black and white, and they went for one or the other by choice. And having this extra choice, just as you were talking about now, you're in a situation and you can actually think about how that scene would look if you treated it in black and white or if you did it in color. And you, you'd probably need to frame differently or do different things, but it's a valid choice and it's an extra creative choice that you can hold on to. And for me, that's great. And I, I actually, now in terms of books and publishing, I like to do what used to be uh, a no-no before, which was to mix black and white and color. I, I still know a lot of art directors don't like doing that, but personally I do. I, I tend to think of black and white as a variety of color. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's the tonal values, right? Mm. Interesting. So, what's what's next on your on the agenda for Michael Freeman? What's where are you off to? Where are you right now? And where are you off to next? Okay, I'm in London right now, and I just got back from Burma, sorry, Myanmar, and China. I was doing a book in Myanmar. Called Seven Days in Myanmar. Uh, we've done a whole series of these books. Um, it tends to be between 30 and 50 photographers. And we're by now, most of us are old friends Steve McCurry, Mike Yamashita from National Geographic, uh, Kathy Carno. And so that book's coming out at the end of the year. I'm, I'm back in London. I've got deadlines on books and videos to meet. And basically, I'm planning my next trip to Asia, which will be China. Um, I have a workshop there, and I've got a Chinese client to shoot for. They're just finishing a, a big resort near Xi'an. And there's a book to do on Cambodia, and I'm halfway through a book on uh, contemporary Thai design. Wow. You are busy, my friend. Jeez. <laughs> Wow. It's, it's crazy. How do you how do you do it all? You must your calendar must look like a like a a mosaic. It sounds more organized than it is. But um, <laughs> well, day to day, 
Well, if, if folks that are listening to this would like to kind of get a peek at some of the work that you're doing and connect with some of the books that you've written, where would you like them to go? Okay, well, the default thing is Google. Um, if you put Michael Freeman in Google, it'll, the, the, the first page usually has a few of them. But um, there's my website, which is michaelfreemanphoto.com. And the Facebook page also, we tend to put a lot of stuff on there. But they're linked anyway. Excellent. Excellent, sir. Well, thank you. Thank you for taking the time to to let me bend your ear uh, today. What, what time is it there right now? It's, uh, it's 10 to 6. Oh, um, so it's not too late. We, we, well, yes, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know from the outside because it's, it's still cloudy, still, still raining. You said you didn't know what the word rain meant. No, I'm in, I'm in California. Sorry. Can I'm, you, look, can I'm you looking out my window right now, Michael, no, and all don't. I see is blue. I'm sorry. Don't. Don't. <laughs> If you could possibly send some of that weather over here, uh, if when I master without, that without technique, it, I'll be doing other things. Picking up water on the way, we'd love some. <laughs> well, well, hey, overcast days make for pleasant portraits, right? So you. <laughs> Thanks. So Did I good. say that? Probably, yes. 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 Cool. All right. Thank you, sir, and uh, you have a good rest of your day. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Yeah. Bye.